Hey there, this is Kayla, one of the hosts of Potions and Potpourri. I know that what I'm about to say is a common, albeit cliche, message to put in the beginning of a podcast, but I think it needs to be said regardless. Many of our early episodes have poor or inconsistent audio quality. This is pretty common for indie podcasters, and honestly, I find it to be enduring to the huge amount of learning we have had to do to start a project like this from scratch. We've learned a lot of things along the way. And while our audio quality does improve as time goes on, there are still many episodes where the audio quality is inconsistent from once before or even after. To be totally honest, we have tested and gone through a good number of recording setups and have lost or gained better quality editing software over the years. It costs money to have a really good recording and editing setup, and we have gone through times where we've had to be as budget-friendly as possible. So if you can, please bear with the weirdness of the sounds, strange background noises, and poor editing through some of the episodes, especially the first few, and hopefully you can enjoy the content we are providing beyond all of the mess. We promise it gets better, but we never stop being chaotic. Thanks for taking the time to check us out and enjoy the show. Unfortunately, okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell us what those are. Yeah, uh, so hi, Chad Pro. As it was said earlier, I am the one of the hosts of the Cow Juice Podcast. It's a casual chat podcast with me and my buddy Pat. Um, it's uh, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. Also filming them now. So we are filming them now. Pod- so I have that. I have the Cow Juice Movies podcast, which is my personal baby. Which we would love to be on sometime. Which is going to happen, actually. So that will happen here in the near future. Um, as well, I am also the host of the Cow Juice, uh, the Cow Juice Pop Show Twitch channel, which just uh, premiered and actually is doing pretty good. Like, Wonderful. Like a few of our listeners from the podcast are joining in on the chat, which is super great. And like, yeah. So just diversifying uh, because of it as if I didn't already have and where can we find you so I want to listen thank you so you can find us on Spotify Podbean iTunes podcasts uh, and Google podcasts and what about your Insta handles so my Insta handle is Chad underscore W underscore crow (laughs) just type in Chad W crow it'll come up or cow juice podcast and that goes for all of my social media um, as well as Twitter nice and simple yeah yeah branding branding (laughs) yeah exactly yeah 
Well, awesome. So, yeah, we brought you in mostly to talk about, again, it's Call of Cthulhu. So, yes. for people who don't know, that's like an entirely different system. Oh, yeah. That's, well, apparently pretty different. Doesn't it predate Dungeons & Dragons? Believe it or not, yes, kind of. So, how <laughs> uh, was it? So it is effectively, it was uh, created in about 1972, which uh, Dungeons and Dragons pretty concurrently was, like, just because it was published in 1973 or 74, uh, Gary Gygax was working on it prior to Call of Cthulhu. But effectively, like, Call of Cthulhu has been on shelves longer than Dungeons and Dragons has. Wow. Right? So, um, however... Dungeons and, or, um, Call of Cthulhu, like, it's that sort of thing of just, like, you know, you know, would we have Smash Mouth if it wasn't for Nirvana? <laughs> uh, so, what I mean by that is, so, D&D really took a lot from Call of Cthulhu in those early days, right? But now, it is so unrecognizable, and it is so clear that, like, Call of Cthulhu had to take strides from specifically 3.5 edition of D&D. And, like, it's kind of a cool, like, little, like, oh, we wouldn't be who we are if it wasn't for each other sort of thing. There's, there's a really sure. good symbiotic relationship to yeah. it. Uh, the fan bases, however, will absolutely rip each other to of fucking course. shreds. Yes, I have fan base. Yeah, yeah. The... So I actually know nothing of Call of Cthulhu, and I think this in is... Ge- gonna... Like, the game or just in general Cthulhu mythos? Both. I, okay. I know very vague bits and pieces of like, H.P. Lovecraft stories. Like, I could recognize a Lovecraftian theme, probably. Sure, yeah. I've never read a Lovecraft book. They're, you know, they're dry. Seen, they're a little dry. I've oh, seen, really? like, As a huge fucking fan, they're dry. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I would like to know is how you would explain Call of Cthulhu to somebody like me, the uninitiated, who has <laughs> never played and knows nothing about it other than, like, vague sure. pop culture references of to course. Cthulhu. So, um... <laughs> Basically, what are some, like, it's, I would start off by asking, like, what are some of the things about D&D that aren't exactly your cup of tea? For me personally, I abhor the fighting system in D&D. I really do. I, I think, like, and no tea, no shade, people can love it. I'm not saying that they're wrong. Well, let me let me interject like, there because it's <laughs> specifically five E because I've yes. heard that complaint. Oh yeah. it has been yeah. watered down a lot so, from the older versions. Okay, so okay, a little bit of backstory. I started with three point five edition, oh, which wow. like three point five edition is super fucking fun. Uh, <laughs> if you've never played it, you it can run a campaign as a chair. Like <laughs> that, it's its system was set up so that literally any you want to be a box turtle that like is just a box turtle, <laughs> yeah. you can do that. It's you're not going to make it far, but you can technically do that. Cool. Three point five edition was effectively the sandbox of Dungeons and Dragons, I like right? That. Yeah, like it was really it was so open to creativity and just whatever the fuck you wanted to do. Right? Eight Three point five versus like five E. That's a huge thing, apparently, too. Where yeah. Some people are just like, "Oh, you don't know D anD D if you haven't played." 3D5. Oh, I hate like, that. Well, I disagree with that. I mean, D anD D is meant for you to kind of make. You've never seen you Death kind of Note. A, like it's yeah, well, yeah. we've talked about it before. I think five E, even though it's quote watered down to some people, it's much more inclusive. I right? okay, so it's easier that's to actually, get into it. I agree. It's like introductory version of role playing games completely and agree the story with you. in general, which mm-hmm. I think is important nowadays. Oh yeah. You know, so so yeah. three point five, like while it is super fun, it is not for people who are unfamiliar. <laughs> yeah. Like so, yes, it's absolutely a point in yeah. its favor, and. Honestly, I would argue that unless you have somebody who is, like, super well-versed in Call of Cthulhu, 
it also is a little bit, it's a little harrowing to get into. Well, um, so what is the game, like, what's the structure of the game like then? Like, so what's the point of Call of Cthulhu? Mystery. <laughs> uh, every single, like, mission, every, well, not every single one, obviously, like, all of the pre-generated ones, yes, are going to be, we're on an adventure, we're, we're like, solving a mystery. Yeah. It's not so much we're, like, cleansing, or, like, you know, like, clearing out a dungeon or anything like that, or, like, oh, there's a vampire, and we need to, like, stop the vampire. Here's the thing about uh, Call of Cthulhu. You are squishy. You're human. Like, you, if you, like, okay, so picture this, right? Your character is just a regular detective, right? You got a revolver, you got your brown coat on, yeah, right? So you're ducked behind cover. All of a sudden, one of the enemies, like, just pulls out their own revolver, right? And starts shooting. So instead of just cover, just covering you, right? It immediately, like, starts to disintegrate, and you actually start taking damage immediately, right? Because ricochet and everything. Real-life physics affected, right? So, and here's the thing. If that enemy rolls well enough and has, like, you know, like, a certain trait, and, yes, enemy characters have traits just like hero characters do, which is a huge pain in the ass, so this is Call of Cthulhu proper. So, like, if that character rolls well enough and he aims for your head, you're fucking dead. That's that's how, like, hardcore that shit is, right? I don't particularly play true Call of Cthulhu. I play pulp Call of Cthulhu, and we'll get into that. But, so that's what I'm getting at, is that, like, it is, it's kind of difficult to get really get into it first. And that's something that 5th edition really, really does well. Yeah. Like, it's super, super easy for anybody to get into but for me personally, I'm a role player. I, I, I'm not so much one that's super into, like, like um, base the whole, like, I'm not a mechanics person at all. Like, obviously, like, they matter for a game for games like this. Like, they're, they're the backbones of everything, There's right? a set of rules that you yeah, kind of follow. Yeah, they matter as much as you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't really have real <laughs> physics going on. Sure. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it, it, it's the characters that I really care about. It's, it's, it's the actual, like... It's playing pretend that I really care about. And I would argue that, like, uh, Call of Cthulhu is perfect for me because I'm a huge fucking dork, right? What was your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, Explain Cthulhu to you. Yeah, like, what, what is Cthulhu? What's the structure So, of the it? structure of Cthulhu is effectively... So, like, what's the story of it? So, there is some stories that are pre-written and everything, yeah. right? That are huge and gigantic, year-long like, Are you trying to call Cthulhu as your ultimate... No! <laughs> I mean, you can. Um, so, so, Cthulhu is effectively your big bat. He is strawed. <laughs> He is, he is a fucking, like, uh, he's, uh, not Parthenax. Who is the king of dragons in Dungeons and Dragons? You know, the eight-headed one? Oh, I was thinking, oh, the eight-headed one? Tiamat. Tiamat. There it is. Yeah, yeah. He is Tiamat. Usually your missions involve, like, stopping cultists who are trying to summon him, right? Or just causing general fuckery using dark elder god magic, right? So it isn't, it, you don't have to know H.P. Lovecraft mythos to understand anything in Call of Cthulhu, but it does help a little bit. If anything, like, if you don't know anything, it super helps with metagaming and everything. But, <laughs> right. because it's just like, um, actually, Cthulhu lives in Relay, and it's just like, and you just fucked up three yeah. months of work. Great, thank you, all right. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Is it a yeah. period piece, though? Is it, like, yes. historically accurate, like, yes. set? incredibly in so. So, uh, I think that's one of the biggest differences between the two is that Dungeons and Dragons is literally worlds that you have completely made up in your mind yep. that they have and everything. But Call of Cthulhu 
does have realism baked mm-hmm. into it. Yeah. For sure. So, uh... It's so a historical you, RPG. Yes, effectively. It's definitely and, a mix of that, yeah. And the cool thing is, is that you can choose, like, whatever time period you want to be in, so long as it does take place in the real world, right? So, uh, the go-to is 1920s, 1930s, because that's when H.P. Lovecraft's novels took place. Yeah. So, it's, like, where the most wealth of, like, uh, creative liberties come from. Flappers and prohibition. Totally! And, and it's super fucking stuff. fun to yeah. do that shit. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, but if you wanted, there is a very famous, it's called, um, uh, A Breath of Fire. Uh, that one takes place in the 70s, actually, right? Oh, and, oh, uh, I believe that one takes place in the 70s, specifically, uh, at towards the end of the Vietnam War, mm, right? Wow. Uh, Nyarlathotep also does that as well. That's also a pre pre written one too. Oh, cool. um, mainly because, like, the idea is that there are certain elder gods that feed off of um, human pain and misery, and what better than war, right? Think about the 1920s Especially and 30s. Vietnam yeah, war. exactly, Excuse right. Um, so it's it's historical fiction. It's it's super fun in that way. There is, however, a fantasy element to this. There is a fantasy land in this, and it's called the Dreamlands, right? So in the Dream... Yeah, right? So in the Dreamlands, like, any of your characters have the ability to go into the Dreamlands. They just have to be invited, right? Um, By somebody who is already a dreamer. Uh, Once you go into the Dreamlands, if your magic points are high enough, you can actually create anything, because it's a dream, Right? Uh, cool, like, mechanics with the Dreamlands is that once you create something, you can always create it without having to use magical power, right? However, like, the bigger the thing, like, the first starter thing that, like, anybody recommends the DM makes their, their, their players, like, create is a stick. You can turn a stick into almost anything, right? (laughs) Uh, and it takes one magic point, it's easy, right? And it's just like, now they have a stick, and the stick is pretty useful, pretty useful for everything huh, sure yeah <laughs> but like if you were just like oh i want to like make a fucking like molotov cocktail all right that's going to cost you a little bit because that adds so much because it's not one thing it's glass it's which is sand right so that's two things right there it's the chemical cu- structure of the gasoline inside of the bottle it's the rag like you can so get into still, the nitty-gritty uh, of even it like the magic part of it there's still like that hint of like realism like you still yes. need the elements you still need the pieces so uh magic like, there it is yeah uh <laughs> fuck i wish i brought the actual book of magic for the game but well you know in D the magic does have components where we personally are just kind of lax about that yeah we're just it like, is, like, like cast it whenever you have a spell slot for it i mean i can't give a specific example unfortunately but you know there's a thing where if it is um, an item you have to have like a cocoon silk to be able to cast that specific spell right you, know? you have to have like a diamond oh like, it's kind of like wiccan it's kind of like wicca right. where it's, like, it's realistically it's, yeah. you cannot cast that spell if you don't have that item but we me and you Keisha, have never really played that way but that is kind of like a rules lawyer type of situation right. where people um, are very specific about that. Like, you have to go shop and make sure you have, like, yeah. a scroll that has the fireball spell on it, and you can only use it per scroll that you have, yeah. or whatever. I'm making shit up, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's what it is. So, but that's what that reminds me of. That's yeah. Really interesting. Right. Um, so, effectively, the magic system, and there are some caveats, of course, but the magic system in Call of Cthulhu, like, outside of the Dreamlands, is more like alchemy. It's equivalent exchange. Okay, yeah, It's yeah. like, it's like, okay, so I'm, effect- I'm making a... Fl- just a fireball, right? Well, how are you making the fireball? Well, I am effectively using saltpeter and brimstone and putting that together, and I'm making my own little tiny, I'll put it in a rucksack, and now I have a fireball that I can just throw, and it will cause, like, a huge flame, right? Sounds like it's just fucking science. 
because Call of Cthulhu is not for fantasy nerds. Call of Cthulhu is for science fiction nerds. And I was going to bring that that's up. That's the big dip. So, yeah, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Of, do you like horror movies and just the horror genre? Yeah. Do you like history? No. Well, <laughs> yeah, not really. Good news, you can play in the modern day. Uh, or you can play in medieval times. Or you can play in prehistory. Or you can play in Egyptian that's times. That's nice. Sure, you yes. can still adjust it. Totally. I think too, yeah. at a certain point. You know, like wow. I said, I know nothing about this game, but like what little I do know, what has turned me off from learning about it is that there's so much historical, there's so much history to it. Where you yeah. have to kind of know the history of the period that you're in, and that doesn't really appeal to me. So, I not finished. really. So, like, the way that I have found a way to get around that, because not everybody I play with loves history the way that I do. I'm a huge dork, right? Uh, yeah. um, like, <laughs> I spent thousands of dollars learning history. I mean, if we did a 90s or 2000s thing, we one, can. That's cool. the cool thing. And see, it, I appreciate that. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we can also do, so, like, one of my more favorite playthroughs is ever, I've ever played is a 2001, for some reason, like, it, like, two Golden era, baby. I guess, uh, for some reason. 2001, we were all, like, eight year, oh we were all cousins, and we were all small children on Christmas Eve. And it was like a Christmas special where Aww. we had to go to the Dreamlands and find Krampus and shit, right? Like, yes. it was fucking radical, yeah. Um, so, like... If you love history, if you like uh, horror, and if you love science fiction, this shit is fucking for you. I like fantasy just fine. I like two out of three of those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good enough. Hey. <laughs> so you have to like dabble and try I would try it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to bring up because like for, because my husband, he is definitely much more of a like real world, like scientist and physics matter, well, etc. Yeah, you know? yeah. You played so, with us for yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we played together for a little yeah, bit. So, yeah, yeah. Because he and, did uh, try... We tried so, doing D anD D, and he was like, "I mean, it's all right, but it just seems a little weird because he was like, he played a Kenku, I, I believe. He yeah, he was Kenku. a Kenku rogue. Yeah, he was a rogue, and he was just like, oh, I'm going like, to take a, a stab oh, in the dark. This is an armadillo person. No, no. This is a bird person. <laughs> yes, bird. Sorry. Yes, I guess you don't know as much. It's basically a crow. Okay. There's kind two of, kinds of birds. So I remember one people. of them, and like they're like Arapoka. Yes, Arapoka. Yeah. I've always wanted to play one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so he was, um, and just it's just bird person from fucking Rick and Morty. That's all I wanted to do. That's exactly yeah, what our cover is. Kind of yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, so he played. He tried the fucking D &D. Klingons with feathers. Cool. All yeah, right. he yeah. tried D and D, and he was like, I mean, it's all right. You kind of have fun, but it was more the fact that he was playing with people he knew. But then when he was playing Call of Cthulhu, he was like into that. Oh, because, that breaks like, my heart that we didn't no, continue. He loved it because it was like, oh yeah, so, I'm gonna be like. Because he loves history, yeah. you know, and it's just, it's so much more real, and mm -hmm. again, yeah, physics is a thing for him. So it's for science fiction It's not fiction just like nerds. a bunch of magical, it's, random shit that happens yeah. for no reason. Would it's, you, there's a rhyme and reason to everything, and that's what he's all about. Yeah, would you rather read a Patrick Rothfuss book, or would you rather want to read Philip K. Dick? Like, that's basically yeah. the Isaac Asimov. Patrick, I don't know who Patrick Rothfuss is, but yeah. I love oh, Philip okay. K. Dick. In the Name of the Wind? No? Uh, so yeah, like, um, so if you like Philip K. Dick, there is a lot of weird science that comes up in this, right? I do like that. Yeah, like, um, but the way that I, have, like, the creative way that I found around the whole, like, uh, like, say you don't know a lot about the 1920s, 30s, whatever, right? Here's the thing. Not a lot of people in those time periods did either. <laughs> Think about how education was during that time. It wasn't standardized. There, uh, standard education didn't start until the 1940s, like until post-World War II. 
Why? Because GI started coming back and realized, oh shit, our children aren't prepared like Europe was. Like uh, England had a standardized, like they, of course they had children in mines and shit, but like if you were a little bit more privileged than that, they had standardized schooling, right? American GI saw this and was just like, we need to fucking bring this over to here. I don't want my kids to have to go to war because they had nothing better to do. Like, yeah, all you have to say is just like, oh, yeah, my character uh, didn't receive a, you know, education per se. Uh, he's a farm boy or whatever, right? Or like street urchin or, uh, my, like, think about people nowadays, right? There are some people that still don't know who our vice president and they're just like, I I, I'm resigned. I'm guess, okay with that. Me like, personally, like, I would like to know the history, at least basic history of that time period to be yeah. able to know how to interact with things. Like, sure. if we're playing in the 30s, I'm not going to try and order a drink at a bar, you know? Sure. Kind of a thing. Yes. Yeah. You know Good I mean? How would I play yeah. the character based on that time period? When so, I, would, I probably want to be, like, a promiscuous woman. I mean, you can. I mean, See, it, that's it, that's it would be very taboo. Some women work. And, like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Showing my ankles off. Exactly. Uh, so, pers- so me and like you know my uh, my oh we're not called DMs by the way. Oh, yeah. We are AKs. We are arcane keepers. Ooh. Yeah. You Arc- sound like a gun. <laughs> arcane keepers of knowledge. That is the name of the dungeon really masters cool, for Call of Duty. And is that what you're currently doing? Are you running a Call of Duty story for so, people? So right now we are running. Uh, Horror on the Orient Express. It is a globe-trotting, long-as-fuck campaign. And unfortunately, the the thing that happens with all long-running campaigns is people are getting bored. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. It happens. It happens. You are the AK, the primary. No. No, 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 no. My writing partner. He is my writing partner in this. We created... So... How it started out uh, when you joined us and everything. Uh, Keisha, that is. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So when Keisha first joined us, uh, we were fledgling, like, into Call of Cthulhu. We were figuring out along with everybody else, Was that the first time that you were, like, dabbling into it? Not the first time. That that was, like, a few months in. Me and Brian, like, really wanted to come in strong and be like, we want to be able to, like, actually answer questions. Right. Actually, look like you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever played with somebody who clearly like just doesn't know what they're doing as a dungeon master? I think that's a bit like dungeon master. It's hard, you know, because you want to do it, and the only way you can do it is by trying. It's just throw yourself into fire. Yeah, but it's it's a lot to ask of people to be like, just bear with me, folks. Okay, like okay. So great example is that I'm not very good with D and D as a player, right? I certainly am not great as a fucking DM. Uh, one of my, one of the ones that I personally wrote was, um, I had everybody go into the sewers because a man in beautiful, shining silver armor and a cloud, like a helmet that also covered his face, hired them to go into the sewers, kill a were rat, right? That was like, you know, in the sewers and take from him a vial of something that like was very precious to this benefactor right Mm. so they go down into the sewers and like you know there's a bunch i I love throwing in dumb shit that just just wastes time because it's (laughs) funny yeah i prefer have like being silly and fun like with my stories right you were part of one oh yeah um (laughs) and uh they found a like so (laughs) okay i'll get to that later um I, so yeah, after they finally got to the end of it, yes, there's a were-rat on a tall tower, and he calls forth his sons to protect him, right? 
which are four total monks. It's Ninja Turtles. Yeah. I made them fight the Ninja Turtles. But here's the thing. They weren't portals. They, using, uh, using corruption magic, they were uh, mutated regular turtles. So you just fucking lightly tapped them. They fell on their back and oh, died. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the joke, right? The were-rat was really the big bad. Unfortunately, we had a mouseling berserk uh, barbarian, which was a cool fucking character. Um, it one shot the fucking were-rat. They just rolled perfectly. Right. And uh, so fell. The thing that came out, so it was a creeping ooze inside, which is a like living monster, right? Mm-hmm. Inside of a canister. And all of the players wanted to break that fucking canister. And it took everything in my power not to say, hey, don't, because I, I'm going to punish you if you do. Oh, no, that's the best part? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And eventually, like, somebody was just, hey, 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 we're being paid for a job. The guy wants this, right? So they bring it back. It's the ooze from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is the joke. And the person that they just worked for was Shredder. They murdered the fucking Ninja Turtles for Shredder. Oh, man. Yeah, I loved it. But that's, that's, that's the shit that I love. It's just goofiness, right? Because we're, we're playing pretend. And then, like, so silly shit. Like, my, the way that I punish characters after, like, all right, you, uh, you've investigated this room already. You've already, um, one of the, so instead of, like, perception rolls and everything, in Call of Cthulhu, we have spot hidden rolls, right? Which a spot hidden roll is just, like, you know what, actually, I'm going to go back into that room spot hidden. And it's just, like, okay, roll for it. And, um. How, how rolling in D&D works is instead of like out one out of 20, right? We actually roll out of 100. Oh, we kind of nix the D20. Wow. Yeah. Actually, yeah. the D20 is almost useless. Wow, like it really never comes <laughs> up. Um, so whenever... How they distinguish themselves. So, yeah. So yeah, whenever exactly. I see like, you know, tabletop role playing like merchant shit, it's all D20 yeah. stuff. And I'm just like, I don't give a shit about uh, this. Uh, you just haven't created the bond with a D20. I haven't. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, are the scoring system is out of a hundred, right? And it's kind of like golf rules. The closer to one, the better. So, um, for example, like spot hidden, like say you have you when you created your character, you gave it a base value of like fifty, right? And then like plus or minus whatever traits or anything. Now it's like sixty, right? So what you want to do is roll under sixty, not over. Over sixty is basically you overlook shit. Right? Under 60 is, yeah, you used your spot hidden and you fucking got to it, right? I actually kind of prefer this. Like, there's a lot more room for the DM, or excuse me, the Arcane Keeper. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot more. I just say DM because every, it's, yeah. it's easier. I, um, yeah, it's pretty universal. Yeah, yeah, so. exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it gives a lot more room for the Arcane Keeper or DM to be way more creative with their decision making, right? Oh, you failed that roll, but it was only like, it was a 70 out of 60. I'm not going to punish it too bad. Are there like kind of tiers where it's like, yeah, a hard success? So yes, so there's a regular success. So that is within the half value, right? So 60 to 30% is just a regular success, right? Anything under 30 is a hard success. And a hard success basically means, so not only did you, when you roll the spot hidden, not only did you find a hidden document that you didn't see previously, right? You also happen to find like that this book over here seems to be less dusty than the others, right? Nice. Just give it a little bit more peppering. Yeah. Then within the fifth value, so one fifth of sixty. So I I don't know math. Um, yeah, we do like, just like four something four. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so if you roll like under a four or some shit, right? 
uh, effectively, then it's just like, so not only did you find that paper, you notice that the that dust jacket on that, on that book is less dusty than all of the others. You also notice that there are tracks underneath the uh, bookcase that look like something swings open. And also, you notice that something, like some of the floorboards have been disturbed with footprints. So you know somebody is probably behind that bookcase. That's basically a crit in that world. Yeah. Effectively, yeah. So that was kind of one of the things that was weird, though. When I was playing that, it took so long for me to flip that switch. Because I would yeah. roll, and I'd be like, oh, no, I got like a two. <laughs> no, you did great. I did. I did. I was like, oh, no, that's actually the better number. I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. that's right. And that's <laughs> how that works for everything. Yeah. And so right. that's the nice part is, like, I know, like, in D&D, like, sometimes some magical spells are tied to, like, D4s and shit, right? For, like, damage? Is yeah, that what you're kind of stuff saying? like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's... I feel like D&D maybe uses more the other dice, dice a bit yeah. more often than probably... It seems like the D100 is so, very much the one you use almost all the time. Effectively, except for, like, damage yeah. bonuses and, like, other stuff like that. Unless, right. like, otherwise specified. So, specifically, like, um, uh, the D... Three? No, D4. D4, the little triangle. Gets used pretty fucking exclusively, right? For movement as well as chases. Now, chases are one of my favorite mechanics that I wish D&D would pick up. So, effectively, a chase is like a non-combat combat combat, uh, where you are being followed by somebody and they're gaining on you, right? And, effectively, every single successful roll puts you more spaces in front of the person pursuing you. And so, like, eventually, once you get, like, I think the number is something arbitrary, like 20, you've, you've lost them. They, you've lost your tail, and, like, you're safe now, right? Mm-hmm. That is so much fucking fun, especially if you're on foot and, like, running through a forest. Because, like, as they're rolling, if they roll poorly, it's just like, oh, fucking tree branch, like, fucking hits you in the awesome. face. You take a stumble, you're now two steps behind, like, and, like, <laughs> as you fail... That's when the person who's following you succeeds, right? So it's just like, now they're fucking six feet, like six spaces away from you. They're almost within touching distance. Be careful, right? Right. That's a super fun mechanic, and it adds to the anxiety of it all. Um, Call of Cthulhu, like, really, like, gets super deep and gritty into anxiety, fear, depression. like Insanity? Insanity. So um, insanity is a huge aspect of Call of Cthulhu. Usually, most of your characters will start in the hundred range of sanity, right? Like high hundreds, right? Because most people aren't insane, right? Right. But the more shit that you see, bodies being eviscerated, a werewolf, fucking like some sort of alien, horrific fucking magic, whatever, right? You start losing sanity. And the more sanity you lose, the more shit you start seeing. The more you start accepting what you see. The idea being that H.P. Lovecraft in his writings, his whole thing was that sanity for some people helped them see how reality actually is, right? Not obviously like, you know, we know so much more about mental health now, so that's kind of an old way of looking at things, <laughs> but it's super fun for fiction because like it's just like, yeah, the more insane, quote unquote, you are to society and all these fucking normies, the more your mind is fucking open. I've taken the red pill, okay? I know what I'm talking about. My <laughs> Yeah, my my pituitary gland has completely 
come outside of my skull and it's guiding me. Yeah, shit like that. Sound like every Tool fan ever. Every t- <laughs> the fun thing that you should bring that up. Tool absolutely loves the writings of H.P. Lovecraft. So most of their like, oh, really? uh, yes. So oh. most of the shit that like, um, I forget the artists that they always hire for like their album artwork and like. Um, great. Thank you. I think Tool. Yeah, I love Tool. Not nearly as much as you, clearly, but. Like, so, like, Alex Gray loves him some Lovecraft. And honestly, so does Maynard James Keenan. Because, like, fucking most of this shit is, like, going deep inside of, like, you know, the, the mind chakra. And, like, fucking expanding your shit so that you can view different realities, bro. Right. Yeah. And that's a thing that you have to juggle, like, because in D&D, you mostly kind of care about watching your health. For the most part, you know, like, oh, you don't want it to get too low, you don't want to, like, die. No. But you also because, have to like, there's a moral compass, though. I guess that's true. Is there a morality? Not really. Like, that's the thing. So, so that's, like, kind of the thing about, like, H.P. Lovecraft's writing is that everybody is kind of shitty. Like, it just <laughs> depends on how shitty they are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like survival instincts kick in sometimes and, like, uh, like... Effectively, you're you're kind of encouraged to like look out for yourself until you really connect with your group, right? Which like might seem a little like oh, I don't want to really do that, but honestly, once you start getting into character, yeah, somebody starts coming in with a fucking like like what the fuck is that thing? And it's like a dog with like eight eyes and shit, and it's like coming towards you. It's just like I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like what are you idiots doing? Like trying to fight that? Yeah. It starts right. making more sense like that, right? It's all the preservations. Effectively. And, like, the more that you start, like, you know, like, bonding with the other players and stuff, the more, like, in-universe it makes sense that, like, no, 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 I'm going to be the good person about this. But, I mean, like, I had a character that just because of the way that I rolled um, in certain situations uh, just was an absolute fucking shithead to the people around him. Not in the sense that he would do things to sabotage or anything. No, he was a coward. His, uh, his name, <laughs> Marcus Rongstad. Rongstad the right, right? Uh, sure. Yes, he was a magician. <laughs> okay. Uh, he was a magician who, um, in H.P. Lovecraft, there was a, um, one of his short stories is called From Beyond. It's been made into a movie that uh, is phenomenal, by the way, that I really recommend to anybody who loves body horror. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that told me everything. Uh, uh, From Beyond is a fucking radical movie. Um, and also a really good short story. And in it, there is a mad scientist who is uh, effectively trying to... What's the, what's the uh, thing in your head that like basically controls your impulse and... Uh, Fight or flight? Uh, your sexual desires. No, it's, it has like an actual name to it. Mm-hmm. I think it is the pituitary gland, right? I don't know. Something. I don't know my brain. Something. Anyways. Um, so he's making a, a machine called the resonator, right? And effectively what it does is, like, it hits that little part. It's it's effectively called the mind's eye. Like, in, like, older, like, when H.P. Lovecraft was actually still alive, that was considered, like, you know, the mind's eye. Like, right. that little gland is what makes us perceive reality. So the resonator basically opens that up and, like, aggravates it so that you start seeing beyond your reality hence the name from beyond right the only issue is that once you start noticing the things in the other realms they start noticing you 
that's, that's not fucking good, <laughs> no, right? Not good. And like the more you use the resonator, the more it agitates that gland and it'll eventually fucking pop out of your head wow. and like fucking like, like just like go like that. Like it's so fucking gross and shit. It's awesome, right? <laughs> it's so, awesome. so I wrote my character Marcus to have been one of his test, test subjects. And the way that he keeps his fucking gland from escaping his head is he has to either constantly be drunk or high. It's no, one or the other. And specifically in 1920s, 1930s, you really only had like morphine, over-the-counter cocaine, and maybe heroin. Bayer brand heroin. Uh, you didn't really have like, like oh, that Mexican ditch weed? That's yeah. not a thing. Really. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, so, so, but here's the thing about that. I love that because it gave me a disadvantage. And like, I, I think like there is a drunk like state in D&D, right? You can be drunk. It's and a it, constitutional, it you... but there is the drunken monk subclass, yeah. which, which gives you a... benefits for being drunk while that you fight. Dope. Yeah, it's yeah. a pretty great. Class. I would base that <laughs> off of Jackie Chan. He was he's a uh, drunken kung fu master. We like, had yeah. a friend that had a monk whose name was Chris Farley, and he was literally Chris Farley that always carried like a barrel of beer. That's fucking <laughs> rad. I love that. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, <laughs> Okay, shit like that makes me interested in D and D, right? You just needed to play with our group. That's I just problem. Well, so long as it's but, a, so long as I can be silly, yeah. I I'll pay attention. Like obviously, you'd be a great bard, Chad. Thank you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Multi class bard. Why? Because I'm kind of gay and just like super loud and fun. No, because you're uh, enigmatic and have a lot to say. And I feel like and we just said the same. I was going to say you just said <laughs> <laughs> Happy Pride Month, everybody! Say it nicer. And that you have a lot of uh, interesting tidbits to offer, plus songs and like jokes, and like you could be comic relief. That, um, yeah. you Thank know, you. you can kind of be the one that's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do the obvious thing. It'd be really fun for us to, you know, either like guest star on Call of Cthulhu, or like we do it. I would DVD absolutely love that shit. Maybe marry the two together yeah. and do some kind of crazy, like, I would love the two. I would love the shit out of yeah. that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would I would love to. Like whatever whatever it is, just let me know. And like um yeah. So long as it's like a one off, I can't I can't commit myself. No. I've, I've we don't want to do that. Before. I don't think yeah. it's pretty much work. It's a lot. He yeah. has a lot going on already. So like like like, you know, not 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 to discredit like like what's happening right now, uh, <laughs> for uh, for horror on the Orient Express, the current playthrough that I'm doing right now, but like like, because it is awesome, and it's, like, big and vast. It's an epic, effectively, right? It, like, on average, it takes even people who, like, commit to it once once a week, fucking, like, eight, like, six hours, right? Which, we're fucking doing, like, six to eight hour sessions. And I think that's why, I think that's why people are getting a little bit burnt out from it. I know I am. Like, it's, it's a lot to give up eight hours of your fucking Saturday. It's a lot to ask of people. Right. Yeah, we just do about two, I would Especially say. millennials. Two to four. Two to three yeah. to four sometimes, but... That sounds fucking lovely. Um, <laughs> it's got to reduce it just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no tea, no shade. It's just, it's just like, it's a lot to ask of people. How sure. long have you guys been playing that particular story? A year. It's been wow. a year. Yeah. A year. So, let we me... started, so quarantine happened, like, yeah. uh, not to date this episode, but like, <laughs> uh, so, so 2020, effectively April, like, was when we started it, and like, right. so, oh, we were yeah. all part of the same bubble, so it was just like, well, 
shit. Like, and also the same like time. Yeah. Too, so that made it with the first couple months easier. before the CDC started rolling out some stuff of just like some information. We did do like uh, remotely, which actually worked really fucking well. Because, like, it forces you to really pay attention. Yeah. Which is so fucking impaired. As a dude who just, like, like I keep looking out the window because I keep seeing birds. <laughs> like, right now. Yeah. As a person with a very short attention span, even I'm just like, yeah, you gotta have fucking... A, Something. You, you gotta fucking pay attention to role playing, unfortunately. It, I take a lot of notes. Yeah. A lot of notes. <laughs> I The way that I get around it, and it ends up biting me in the ass because it sort of alienates other players, is I interge- I, I have very big characters. You? So that I'm, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, well, you got your first clip. Uh, so. I think that's the first one. You're the last. <laughs> I'm very loud. I'm sorry. Uh, so I, proje- I project. I'm of the theater. Yes. I'm a thespian. So, like, it, yeah. <laughs> that's how I, I keep my, my focus is that I create characters that are big on charisma. Big on fuck. He should have too. This whole this yeah. character's whole thing is like, um, so Marcus Rongshad, he was like, you know, a drunk and everything, right? But he was also a magician. He was a fucking like entertainer. So it would behoove him and like any chance he got to do sleight of hand, he would do. The amount of times I got arrested and then just would break out of the cuffs immediately because my lock pick was like yeah. fucking ninety-nine. Awesome. So I was an escape artist as well, right? And, like, I would do that and just get bludgeoned by fucking 1920s cops. And, like, I would love that. Like, I would just, like, break out of cops, get bludgeoned to death, and, or all near death, right, and get into death saving throws. And, like, I would be face down into the streets. I would get, like, like uh, uh, handcuffed again. And then, like, some dialogue would happen. And then out of nowhere, I would just do, yeah, yeah. And I broke out, <laughs> out of the cops. Of the cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's how I keep my focus as a person with horror. Terrific ADD. Do characters in Call of Cthulhu level at the same rate as like Dungeons and Dragons? Do you have a max level? So how that works out is no. There are no levels in in Call of Cthulhu. Oh, I was gonna say you don't I really, like, adore extreme? the ever loving shit out of that compared to D and D's leveling system. Why? Because if I make an elf and he is a hundred years old, why is he a level one? After a hundred years of being on fucking the planet, right? While a dwarf, who is only like fucking like, you know, like 12 or whatever, is also a level one. Like, I hate how that works yeah, out. And like, how in a campaign, and it, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work if you do like, well, I guess you can be a level eight and you can be a fucking three. Well, I and think like, the argument there would be that you would have, you as the player would have to explain it via backstory. I guess. So your level one 100 year old elf has never left that elven colony and has never seen the world and experienced anything. And doesn't yeah, like, but I feel like that's, you're pigeonholed to that every single time. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a warlock. And it's just like, okay, great. Like you're a 60 year old fucking warlock, right? Yep. So why do you only know, like, a spell? Yeah. Why do you have one cantrip? Maybe you just got contacted by your patron. I, I, okay, I, 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 I appreciate but, that. But that and, like, that's up player. to the player. Exactly. I, okay, I can appreciate that. It makes that. them decide why they are that age, but it kind of makes them, forces them, I should say, to decide I how guess. that works with yeah. the mechanics. So it doesn't really give you a lot of leeway. Like, you have to be, or you just don't think about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, he just never did anything. Okay, he's 60. Yeah. So, so, here, let me... 
Um, so yeah, uh, how Call of Cthulhu's leveling system works is that it's not so much a leveling system as everybody is the same. Like, but okay. So um, think of a 1930s like archetype. The flapper. The flapper. Okay. So the flapper. She's probably what like 2021 20, somewhere around there. Okay. So she's going to have talents in specifically like say charisma. Uh, as well as, um, like, she could have some sleight of hand because she's very good, like, dexterous and everything, right? She could also have some good, like, listening skills because she has to listen to her fellow backup dancers and stuff <laughs> to fucking, like, yeah. She could have, like, a fantastic fucking memory because, like, you know, like, oh, I know every dance I've ever done. Like, yeah. whatever, right? So... How that works is when you create your character, and I'll, uh, in a second, I'll bring up, like, what a character sheet looks like. Um, it's very different. It's incredibly it's so different. different. So when you're creating your character, you get, like, obviously you can just roll for everything, and that takes, like, 18 hours, and, like, <laughs> fucking everybody's crying, and it's just, like, math is hard. Yeah. Or you can just do, like, ah, like, pulp Cthulhu rules. The rules for that is you get 200 points. Divvy it up. Mm. However, you want okay. into all of these fucking skills. One of those could be a hundred points right off the bat. Yeah, I, if I you want that. to. Uh, I had a homeless magical man who uh, had zero in almost everything except for luck. <laughs> Hell yeah! He was That's just great. incredibly lucky, and like his whole thing. His name was Jerry. Any like Jerry, you don't know how old Jerry is, right? <laughs> uh, because he just looks terrible no matter what. Yeah. Uh, he has a little tiny rat friend Aww. that is clearly every time that he shows up is a different rat, but oh. he refers to them as Basil. It's always the same name, right? Does he know that it's a different rat? I don't know. So like, and like I played around with the idea of like that being itself like an eldritch horror. And like, for those of you that don't know, the word eldritch comes up a lot in Cthulhu. Eldritch is just another you. way of saying like elder god, which elves eldritch yeah that's where that comes from so like eldritch is effectively like the religion surrounding the elder gods uh, so much to say so yeah uh jerry i just sent you guys those uh fucking character sheets yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's vastly different from a typical D D. incredibly different so uh oh well, one of the major differences instead of having like a dedicated set of skills yeah. for each type of like role. It's called hero skills. Yep. And it's a percentage amount. Yes. So the percentage amount is effectively like so how accounting. I know. So, oh five percent. Yes. So <laughs> oh five percent means that the base set for that one is five percent. Because everybody can look at a rock and be like, that's not gold. Yeah. And make that decision, That's right? Yes. Okay. Well, okay. So maybe not accounting. They can look at a number, like a, a, okay. How about this? So they can look at like a stack of cash and be like, that ain't a bunch of pennies. Right. However, if they were to like, say they put nothing into that skill and they rolled under a five somehow, that basically is like a magic, like sort of one of those, just like, you're so stupid about the subject. You somehow made sense. Like, just like, uh, for example, just like, now hold on a second there. I know that for a fact that that painting ain't an original. How do I know? Okay, so that's technically a praise. But anyways, same same difference. <laughs> but still. Uh, I know that that painting ain't original because I know for a fact that that kind of paint is lead-based because it tastes sweet because I licked it earlier. And it's just like, 
what? Yeah, that's lead-based paint, which oil paint isn't. I'll have you know, it tastes terrible. That's where, like, that whole, like, sort of, you put no skills into it. The base layer is fucking 5%. Mm-hmm. You rolled under that, which means you succeeded. And it's just, like, you fucked your way into success. That's what just happened. You, you're you so fucking stupid. You licked the painting, and you realized it was a fake. because. Mm-hmm. Because it's lead-based paint, not oil-based. I see that there's, like, a credit rating on here. Yes. So, how the... Okay. I think that's your money. So, no. That is... is, It's effectively your social standing, is what that is. That's what that is? Yes. So, there is a money aspect of it. There's a spending level of it. Uh, So, in what way is effectively, like... So, say a hobo, right? A hobo, like Jerry, uh, will have a credit rating of either 0 or 90, right? It's just like, yeah, I got nothing to my name, whatever. If I were to go to a place where people are dressed nice, I would probably be asked to leave. That's your credit rating, effectively, right? It also affects your spending level. It basically also affects, like, if you were to say, hey, uh, I've got a job and I'm going to bankroll it. I just need you to go along with it. That would then, like, so the Arcane Keeper who is playing the NPC who is trying to be coerced by your character with a low credit score would then be like, there's no fucking way you have money to do this. (laughs) You are wearing trash bags for shoes. I don't think you got the money. Uh, But then, like, say you come from, like, just say a working class family, right? So your credit rating might be more in, like, the 80 range, right? To where it's just like, you won't get kicked out of a restaurant or anything. However, nobody's like the 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 maitre d is going to be like. I suppose we have seats for you around here, <laughs> and then like say middle class, upper class, and it's like you know closer to like the one value or whatever, and then it's just like, oh, you're trying to like get uh, instead of like going to like a hostel or something, you want to go to a fancy hotel, which like the fancier the bed that you sleep in, the higher the like healing bonuses you get for that night. The way that you heal isn't through potions or healing magic or anything like that. There is healing magic, but it's so fucking rare that it never really comes up. And it's really taxing on the witch or the wizard that knows how to do it. So there's a bigger price for magic than this system. Incredibly. We'll talk about it if you want to. (laughs) So, like, where the healing comes from is resting, right? And resting can be, like, sleeping or just, like, fucking chilling, right? So, like, the fancier the bed, the better the healing bonuses and everything. So, like, it might behoove you if you have, like, oh, one of of the characters in the group is a socialite, right? She's the heiress to a bacon fortune or something. (laughs) Some bullshit, right? It's the 1920s, darling. Everybody's an heiress to something. Thing. Uh-huh. Uh, so, like, she can go up to a fucking host, fucking slap him in the face, and just like, do you not realize who I am? <laughs> and because her credit rating is so fucking high, it's just like, of course you get the grandest suite we have yeah. on no money down whatsoever, yeah. right? So credit rating is effectively your social standing, which in the 1920s and 30s, historically speaking, of course... Uh, is what led to the Great Depression, is what led to, like, the Troubles, is what led to Hoover Towns and whatnot, which Hoover Towns were basically, like, remember that time in, like, 2008 when everybody was living in tents? <laughs> it was that, but it was fucking 60% of the yeah. American population. Yeah. Not kidding. Right. It's fucking bad. It's, it's like, like, on the street, just literally anywhere. There's nowhere yeah. to fucking go. Like, uh, it, it, like, when you hear that, it, like, makes sense that around that time is when, like, Al Capone came to power because he was giving money back to his community. It, it makes sense that, like, fucking Bonnie and Clyde happened because there was nothing for people. 
Sorry, tangent about that over. So that's effectively what credit is. So it's more of like a story building, like sort of like creative aspect. And that's really what all of the skills are. Um, is like it leads to that like storytelling element of it which again like Call of Cthulhu is all murder mystery based slash like we're all like playing pretend is the biggest fucking part of it and I keep saying playing pretend as if it's like childish kind of is but like I mean that's what role playing is that's what it is like that's why that's why this works for me though is because like I'm not fucking paying attention to Okay, in three turns it'll be my turn. I can make a cantrip, I guess, as well as move four spaces. And then in, in five, 15 minutes it'll be my turn again. And I might be able to hit the bugbear. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, good name drop. Thank yeah. you. I know some things. Uh, thank you, Critical Role. Where are we going with this? Oh, yeah, magic system, right? So right. the magic system is not at all... And, again, this is a point in Call of Cthulhu's favor, in my opinion, right? Because the magic system kind of sucks, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's a quote from me. <laughs> the magic system in Call of Cthulhu kind of sucks, and, and that's a good thing. Well, it seems it's like, magic's not, like magic isn't a real, tangible thing like it is in Dungeons & Dragons. It's no. something that has to be explained. Like, exactly. You don't just have magic. Like, you, the three of us, don't just have magic. So there are the some things world. that are spells, right? That are just straight up, just like, no, I invoke this, right? Like, I, this, I fucking muster up all the magic that I have. If you look on, like, the character sheets that I sent you, there is basically, like, you have, like, like zero out of, I want to say 20 magic points, right? Oh, and sure. You, yeah. Okay. So, say that you are, like, uh, my, my wife has a character who is a witch, right? She owns a bookshop. Right. It's awesome. She makes bathtub gin. It's fucking a cool character, right? Maggie is her name. Uh, she is uh, a descendant of one of the only true witches of Salem that never was actually convicted, right? Because, like, and in her backstory, she was just like, because my ancestor, who was kind of shitty, pointed the finger at the others to draw attention away from her. It's fun stuff like that. That's, where, so you can, easy back that's where you can have fun with the history. So, like, out of, like, say, so, say you want to, like, reanimate a corpse, right? That's fucking some major arcana. Mm-hmm. So, that's probably going to take up all of your magical points. The way that you get magical points back is kind of similar to health points, right? You can rest, you can meditate and everything, but here's the thing. It's going to take some fucking time because keep in mind, the idea is that Call of Cthulhu is the real world. Just the things that go bump in the night are things that go bump in the night. It's reality. It is our own universe. And some people that can use magic have been able to just sort of like basically like like put a pinhole into a water pipe effectively right and they can get a little bit of a splash in their hands they can't really control the magic that is within the reality so it's very difficult it's very taxing and in some cases if you really want to do like no i just want to set this entire fucking building on fire and it's just like you don't have the magic points to do that all right i pull out a knife i then fucking cut my hand off oh is that a good enough fucking sacrifice for wow. this? Wow. Yes. So that's what you were saying earlier sacrifice. about like alchemy. Yes. Yeah. Equivalent, is, equivalent exchange. Effectively. Like, yeah. which, like, as we've talked about, I'm a huge fucking dork. I love Full Metal Alchemist. Me too. Yeah. I love alchemy. Yeah. Like, like, I think that alchemy is the branch between. Like, okay, so real shit. 
I think that alchemy is the branch between real life science and what we would call magic, which magic, in my opinion, which is something that H.P. Lovecraft actually talked about, ma all magic is is science that we cannot explain. I love that. Even if it's just a thought experiment, even if it if he doesn't actually mean that, think about the concept of a fucking smartphone. You have the library of Alexandria in your goddamn fucking pocket. Pretty how do you, how, yeah, it's basically magic for to those who don't understand how fucking part of like the Arthurian legend is that Merlin fucking had a book that had every answer to every question. You just had to ask, ask had the correct Google. question. Yeah. He effectively did. Right. Yeah. We have that real now. What was magic in Arthur times is now our fucking reality because of why? Because of the combustion engine, because we burn coal, we burn fucking dead dinosaurs and somehow that makes the lights turn on i can have a fucking sandwich and fucking <laughs> fucking that asshole across the street can have his hummer like it fucking like it's it, like all of that shit right magic is just science that we cannot explain i love the fuck out of that so that's why i love the magic system in this the reason why i don't love the magic system in D D is because I hate the idea of, like, you go into a room. In the room, there's nothing in it. Oh, I cast fucking, uh, what's the spell that's basically, like, I sense if there's an illusion. Detect magic. Great! <laughs> you just ruined everything! You ruined the big surprise! You ruined the fun puzzle that I set up, Maybe. right? Well, you go into a room, and it's just like, ah, oh, I detect, uh, Lumos! Because the only magic I know is from Harry Potter. <laughs> Fucking Lumos! Unfortunately, Lumos didn't work. Oh, I know what this is. This is fucking shadow magic or some shit that, like, negates my magic. I know how to solve this! Fuck you! <laughs> well, clearly strong opinions. Yes. But to yeah. be fair... I hate that personally because as a writer, I love the idea of it's a puzzle. Figure it out. I hate the whole, I cast this. It would still be a puzzle, though, because let's say in that scenario, I guess. there's a special kind of magic, but you wouldn't know that as the player. You I understand this is a D&D podcast. Arcana, yeah. You know, there's always something that you would fail, so sure. you just wouldn't know. Sure. The DM, I, okay. The DM yeah. oh, okay. pulls okay. information from you, and then, I mean, Keisha has introduced, like, literally elementary level puzzles to us that we haven't been able to figure out. <laughs> And they have nothing to do with magic. Have you done the box yet? <laughs> no. So one of the puzzles I've, I've, I've come up with in the in the short sense of like writing D&D was the box. And it's, it's a famous one. And it's effectively like all your characters have to do is put their weapons in a box <laughs> and the door opens. And <laughs> no, you'll be... Oh my god! Oh my god! So like one, one character put in yeah, like, one character put in like, like one character kind of figured it out. Yeah. It's just like I put my sword in the box. You hear the slight sound of a tumble. <laughs> oh, I'm going to take that shit yeah. out. Like, this is, no, you dumb fuck. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, it, it's just like, like for us, we, we've, we've talked about this in our previous episode. I understand that this is fantasy a... fantasy geeks, you know, and everything. Yeah, it's a D&D podcast. I get that. of, like, yeah. things that don't, that's what appeals to me, at least personally. I guess I can't really speak for both of us, but... Just thinking of these things that don't exist in this world, because I already see all this stuff, and I've already lived it. I read the histories and everything. I'm like, all right, yeah, that's cool, whatever. But it's not like it doesn't really grab me as much personally 
because I'm just like, oh, but it doesn't have like dragons, it doesn't have fairies, it doesn't have. I mean, it. What, I like the idea. What well, Call of Cthulhu doesn't. Like, yes. But but the difference Fair. for me for Call of Cthulhu is it's much more grounded and there's more reason it is behind it. everything. It's yeah. a completely different game. Yeah, so, yeah, which yeah. Isn't it's hellable. It's, it's, it's just there it's is just a so secret different. world that is happening around us. That is right. a fact. It's it is kind of fairies. Like there is a secret world that is happening around us, and that unfortunately because we're all sane, all of you fucking normies are fucking. <laughs> Plugged Models, into the, you're plugged into the fucking matrix, and you're not seeing what the world is actually offering, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, we did a playthrough where an entire, like, the idea was that we were, uh, okay. So, my favorite way to play Call of Cthulhu is through a Pinkerton agency. Historically, if you don't know who the Pinkertons are, they were effectively the first uh, version of the uh, Secret Service, right? Abraham Lincoln personally hired them to escort him into enemy territory in the South to discuss peace negotiations, right? Uh, it kind of worked, also kind of didn't. One of the more famous stories is that they were on a train, they were about to go into, into fucking Southern territory, and they realized that, oh fuck, Abraham Lincoln, everybody knows what the fuck this ugly motherfucker looks like. They're going to know this is Abraham Lincoln, they're going to fucking want to murder him. So let's dress them up like an old lady, <laughs> nice. right? So they dress them up like an old lady. They pass like all of the like station agents and everything. And they eventually get them back onto the northern side after the peace negotiations, right? It's effectively like a Call of Cthulhu campaign. It's just like protect this motherfucker. Figure it out. You dress them up like an old lady. You succeed on the disguise roll. Great job, right? So um, the Pinkertons eventually then turned into anti-union fucking police forces that like a cor a company could hire because uh, every major city had a Pinkerton agency, right? They were effectively private detectives and like, but then eventually turned into private security that like during like the Haymarket riots and everything, you're shape you're nodding. Like the CIA is what yeah. it sounds like. The secret <laughs> service? So it's what it turned into. Um, so there are still Pinkerton agencies active, right? And fun fact, Amazon recently during their whole union vote and everything, Hired the Pinkertons to uh, encourage some people to maybe vote against it. That's it's, nice. it's the same tactics that have been used a hundred years ago. The Pinkertons that like, eventually sold out their own morals of we're just a detective agency. We're here to do the good uh, for the people, right? Turned into uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll murder the people trying to organize a union in your fucking steel mill. Why not? Mm -hmm. That's effectively what it turned into. So mm -hmm. so. You have that going for it. But, okay. So, but, in my timeline, the Pinkertons yeah. are still just a private detective agency. Um, so, the way that we have it set up is that, like, every week is a new case, right? We try to set it up to where they're one-offs, right? So, every week is a one-off. That way, if somebody's just like, ah, oh, I can't make it this week. Not a big deal. Next week will either be a different one-off, or it makes sense in-universe that, like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm back, everybody. Does somebody need my help? Like, because you're a Pinkerton agent. You got called to something else. Yeah. In-universe, we have an explanation of why this character isn't here right now. Awesome. It's just like, they got called in for something else. Like, whatever, right? Or, uh, like, somebody wants to jump in on a random episode, and it's just like, oh, shit, uh, I called in a friend, right, to help us out with this case. Uh-huh. So we just, I love that. That to me is how we keep our group together. It's like constant fucking new stories. We're going, going, going. That's why I think we're having troubles with our long campaign right now. 
And I think, like, D&D also suffers from that, too. Curse of Strahd is a fucking party killer. And I don't, I don't, I don't mean just, like, your characters. It... Dude, it's a group killer. Yeah. I've seen what it does to so, like us. people it's who hard. Are... It's hard to win. And Dude. I think that's what people don't like. They don't like to lose. It's you know? constant yeah. it's constant failing until it the is. end. Yeah. And like that's the point of the story, yeah. right? And it's 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 really hard to get people to be like, Yeah, fuck yeah, I can keep losing. <laughs> I'll make four new characters, it's fine. One, and also, people love creating new characters. Uh, And, like, when you have, like, when you have it to where, like, and you can do this in D&D, too. You can set up a a fucking fighter's guild, or a thief's guild, or fucking whatever, right? To where, like, it is encouraged to, like, oh, you want to try a new character this episode? Fuck yeah, let's do it. I think that's the secret, is that everybody loves trying new shit, right? Like, like, when you get, just get too long in the tooth, like, everybody just, like, you know, my, uh, my alcoholic priest character was fun at the beginning, but now he's talking about his mom and shit, and I think I'm, like, putting in my own stuff for this, and, like, get a little too real. Eh, yeah, it's starting to get a little too real. Back to what you are saying, like, our original D&D campaign was homebrew, and I started at level three. Love homebrews. I think I, I think homebrews are to level nineteen. We probably played that for over two years. The same story, and it was pretty ridiculous because at some point when you're level 17, 18, 19, the only people to fight are demons from the abyss. Yeah. Did you write the homebrew, or no. were you just a player in it? Just a player. I did a few. Like we dabbled a little bit. It was like a bunch of DMs coming together. Yeah. Yeah. We changed it up. I think that's what also kept that alive too. So that's a big thing because you have a lot of different it. opinions and a lot of different creative voices coming in, and it, it kind of it. became like this whole like bubble so story. I think you know? that's that, yeah. that's our that's our problem with horror on the Orient Express. Get somebody that to run a one shot for you. I want to. It's just like. It's also asking the person who's currently running it to be like, hey, I know we've invested a year into this. How about we stop? <laughs> you don't need to stop. Maybe just like, let's make a detour. Yeah. Let's do this little thing and just like change it up. A Allow me to be the something. DM for a minute and just freshen shit up, please. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what it needs. Maybe not. I don't know. Each group is different, you know. And yeah. You just try stuff, and if it doesn't work, you're just like, all the right. The reason so why I keep bringing this shit up is because, like, the same problems that affect D&D groups affect Call of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the same, same thing for Universal well, yeah. Role-playing. TTRPG. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I mean, it happens to everybody. Also, like, Keisha and I mentioned before, but you're dealing with adults that have probably full-time jobs or just, like, lives in general. You guys now have a new hobby. Yeah. You, okay, so, like... A very time-consuming hobby. So what is <laughs> what is really killing my drive to, like, want to show up for fucking eight hours on a fucking Saturday yeah. is the fact that, like, I've got two podcasts to fucking edit. I, uh, like, I, I devote two full afternoons every week to podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just recording. Just yeah. recording. Yeah. I, like, and again, I brought this all on myself, <laughs> right? Um, I'm trying to now introduce a Twitch channel, which is, like, really fucking helping. It's super fun. So, like, I have all of that. It's it's really hard for me to be, like, if my heart's not 100% in this, it's really hard for me to commit to that, right? Like, because, yeah. like, so I think that, like, like, what works out really well is just variety, and that, that could come from, like, fucking creative voices, so multiple DMs or whatever, right? Yeah, that helps a lot. Uh, different episodes. Try, one-shots. Like, and even if yeah, they're not one-shots, they're two, they're two nights, 
like, you know, like one week apart or whatever. Yeah. Like, one of the best things I've ever written uh, was a, um, a haunting of an animation studio. It wow. was one of the best things that I ever did. It was supposed to last one night. It lasted four. And wow. it was fucking awesome. That's it was fun. one of the best things that I've ever done. Honestly, like, because it went for four nights instead of one, 75% of it was improvised, which I kind of want to talk about, too, is that improvisation is so important. It is. For, anybody, who, like, for <laughs> anybody who's, like, not comfortable with improving or who, do, who don't think that they have a good improv voice, one, you do. The fact that you're even questioning it means that you do. It's one of those things where, like, people who really don't never fucking think about it. <laughs> so, as a person who took seven years of improv classes, right? I did everything that the local fucking theater offers and nothing came of it. But I'm really fucking good at improv now, right? Um, the one thing that I learned is that everybody has that little voice in them that just says, keep talking. Yeah, do you'll, this. Do you'll that. fucking get there, right? So, like, if you want to bone up your fucking, like, skills and that, take an improv class. So that's what I'm getting at. Is just, like... That, that variety, that, like, difference of every single fucking time is so fucking important. Yeah, refresh to... that interest. Totally. Bit, and, know? like, it, it's cool that, like, every, like, TTRPG fucking gets that. It's not cool. It actually fucking sucks. But <laughs> it's neat that we have something that we can connect on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Are there, uh, is there, so you dabbled in Dungeons & Dragons, didn't really like it? Yeah. Um, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just uh, not your jam. Three point five edition was cool because, like, I literally made a character that was just like, "Oh, I'm a shoe shiner." <laughs> okay, so what and else? That works. Nothing else. Well, but then you found Call of Cthulhu, and that was much more your jam. Exactly. Is there another tabletop role playing or just role playing game in general that you are interested in or have always wanted to try? So, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Good, good fucking question. Uh, so there's one that I absolutely fucking got into, and it's kind of the same reason. It's weird science mixed with, like, historical fiction. Okay. Mixed with uh, horrific atrocities. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I know, be still my beating heart. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, called Cold Steel Rain. Now, the cool thing is, is that this was actually created by somebody who lives in Missoula. Oh, neat. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, he never finished it, which really sucks. Uh, Cold Steel Rain is, during the Civil War, a meteor hits the Earth and effectively time fucking freezes, right? Hmm. So, like, it could be, you know, 2021, and it still is effectively the Civil War. Like, like, like it's still nice. the Wild West and shit, right? Uh, because of the meteor, like, fucking uh, radiation happens and, like, Badgers are now fucking the size of like like fucking like tanks and shit oh and like like you know there's all sorts of weird shit and like everybody is an asshole because it's like Civil War era America so uh, Cold Steel Rain is fucking fantastic uh, and like beyond that I've always wanted to try the Lord of the Rings RPG that would be really fun that would be really fun because I understand that world I understand like the map like I I really understand that fucking universe and um, that one is about as old as well it yes yes it is the late 70s or so yeah dude there's always really cool. there has been Lord of the Rings nerds since there's been fucking virgins like right. it's fucking crazy the Lord of the Rings RPG I've always wanted to fucking try I love that um, I didn't even know that exists. I made the yeah. joke I really think it would be super I'm not a brony whatsoever I would like that to be set I really want to fucking make a really gritty 
weird fucking My Little Pony playthrough. Like post-apocalyptic brony I think it would be fun story? as fuck. <laughs> like, we're all horses and, like, shit has gotten real. Uh, I think that would be hilarious. And, like, it would be one of those things where, like, um, the silliest characters that we create end up having the most, like, tragic ends. Or, like, the most heroic fucking stories, right? Uh, Like, specifically, the one that I'm thinking of is a furbolg who was raised by clowns. (laughs) And, like, like he's got clown makeup on, he's got the fucking goat hooves or whatever, and, like, fucking, like, and it's just like, oh, you can't take this fucking seriously at all, right? And then it, like, cuts to, like, you know, 200 hours later, and it's just, like, he's fucking sacrificing himself for the rest of the party, and it's, like, really heroic. It's fucking tragic and shit. Yeah, that's 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 the truth. One of my favorite characters I've ever created is, is a actor named Samuel Sallies. And Samuel Sallies started out as a very... He, he, he's a 1920s actor, right? This is for Call of Cthulhu. But right. Samuel Sallies came out because as an NPC of my animation uh, studio, always Mystery, um, he was just... He was, the char- he was the NPC that I created to help the players along if they got stuck, right? The way that I had him set up was that, like, the animation studio was on a movie studio lot. Like, each warehouse was a different movie that was being filmed at the time, oh, right? Man. And every- yeah, it was cool as fuck. I loved it. And then at the very end was the animation studio. Um, if you've ever played the game Bendy and the Ink Machine, I wrote this before that game came out, and unfortunately, that game kind of stole the idea. <laughs> Even though they didn't, it was just, like, a very similar idea. So both of these games you're talking about are very historically based. Yeah. Which is why they yeah, that's, you. like, the exactly. main <laughs> draw for you. Horror movies and horror genre in general, science fiction, and history. That's why post-apocalyptic flair uh the threat of post-apocalypse sure because if the cultists who are trying to invoke an elder god or just like get their like get what they think is right for society happens effectively everything fucking falls apart post-apocalypse happens so anyway so Santa sally's like was the helper character that like if my character if the players ever got into a jam Samuel Sally's would be there to help them like Oh no, you need to go to this other building. That's where they're filming the jungle film, right? So the fun thing about Samuel Sally's is though, like so the first warehouse that they go into, it's a like it is a horror movie. It's called The Thing on the Doorstep, which is a HP HP Lovecraft novel uh short story, right? Which like HP Lovecraft also inspired a lot of movies from the silent film era, right? Samuel Sally's was a silent film actor who unfortunately had uh, it's Vincent Price. I decided to do Vincent Price, which my Vincent Price voice is... A- this is actually what Vincent Price spoke like, right? It was very erudite. However, it had a very warm, very inviting professorial feel to it. Let me elucidate you on the history of the manor. You will find that the skeletons in the closets are actually skeletons in the closet. <laughs> If you look it up, that's actually a very good impression of I love, I I love Vincent Price. <laughs> Vincent Price is my favorite actor of all time. So it, it was a no-brainer for me to make, make a character based off of him, right? Sure. But that sort of voice can lead itself into parody. It can lead itself into certain avenues that I don't really want to go into. I love the idea of more silliness, right? So the voice sort of morphed into this. 
which if you've ever seen Bill Hader's impression of Vincent <laughs> Price, it is exactly what this is. It turns into more of a nasally, like, yes, hello, welcome to my haunted mansion. Nice. It turns into that. Because the idea is that it's all schlock. We're all fucking, like, horrible stereotypes. And we're all fucking, like, like histor- horrible histories. We're all just, like, caricatures of what we actually want to do in Call of Cthulhu, right? Sure. It's way more fun to do that. Think about every barbarian character they are, either of you have probably ever created, right? Probably something similar to what Travis Willingham did. It, like, and even if it wasn't, it's still big fucking angry asshole. I was an Arakakra barbarian for Curse of Strahd. How did that go? Uh, terrible because, <laughs> because terrible. they uh, have claustrophobia. And Curse of Strahd is very... I love yeah. the shit out of that, though. That's <laughs> brilliant. Great. We talked about this before, but I wish I could play him again. So yeah. fun fact, phobias are actually a big part of Call of Cthulhu. Right. We can get into we it. We had a whole thing where I would have to pretty much constantly roll Good lord. <laughs> so Samuel Salis is my favorite character I could ever play, right? Sure. He is very, very astute. He's, he knows who he is, he knows exactly what the situation is. It is the most serious character I've ever fucking played, ever created, really. That's because everything else is a joke yeah, character. Yeah. yeah, everything else is a joke character, but Sam Samuel became my ace in the hole. He is my character. Yes, he is a famous actor, a thespian, if you will. I don't normally get on stage anymore. The silver screen is where I belong. But I will deign myself for Shakespeare. It's You're that. You're like built to be that, just play that, this kind of stuff. Just that. like role play and story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just, yeah. just do it naturally. Yeah, yeah I Luckily am. you have Call of Cthulhu. I am. And like, um, well, so. all kinds of other creative arts though. Oh yeah, there's plenty totally. of people. Um, totally. Like, um, so the podcast has also opened me up to, like, I... We talked about this, like, uh, in the, like, very early stages of our friendships is uh, voice acting. I've wanted to be into voice acting for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Improv is a huge aspect of voice acting. And, like, um, and, like, improv is a huge aspect of fucking role playing. Like, of what we do. So, like, I, I don't, I don't fucking, like hate that like i have all of that experience if anything i fucking relish it but but it is fun to like poke fun just to make sure that i don't take myself seriously you know who the true losers of improv are the audience but (laughs) (laughs) uh so anyways um so samuel sally samuel sally's is my he's my go-to i I thought it was going to be Marcus Ronstadt. Ronstadt the right. He is German. He was banned by his parents in America. And that's where the name Ronstadt comes from. Uh, he has a amulet of Loki, which like helps mm. him with his illusion magic. That he he does not believe in magic whatsoever. Like he is he's a skeptic, right? Yeah, yeah. The magician doesn't believe in magic. Like it's it, that's the thing, right? And turns out it is because he has the bloodline of Loki. Loki fucked one of his ancestors, right? <laughs> because Call of Cthulhu opens itself up to, oh, anything? Yeah, everything happened. Uh, the Norse gods were real. Fucking the Greek gods are real. The, the fucking Egyptian gods are absolutely fucking real in H.P. Lovecraft mythology. Like, That's pretty neat. Yeah, it opens itself up to all of that. So it's yeah. super fun for creating a character. So the reason why, like, even though he's a drunk fucking asshole... Marcus's magic tricks and stuff work really well because he has the blood of Loki, the god of illusion. 
That's super fucking fun, right? I thought he would be my main go-to. No, he almost immediately got his fucking neck sliced in two. Like, fucking, <laughs> he almost got beheaded. Like, immediately, right? Why? Because, because he's a drunk asshole, his go-to was just like, I set fire to the building, and I run away. Like, that's, that's his whole fucking thing, right? So, like, not very good for a character. But Samuel, on the other hand, is calm, collected. He is, he... Like, the idea is that he has played so many detectives in so many film noir. He can kind of figure out what's going on. He can dawn a new face and trick anybody who fucking comes his way. He also has a high credit rating. People, when he wants to be who he is, people know who Samuel Sallies is, right? I love this character so fucking much. And it came from a nothing NPC of just like, I need somebody to help the characters, right? So, like, they would go into one warehouse and there would be somebody, like, at a desk, right? Who was dressed up like a detective, right? It's just like, I thought I'd see you come in here. Yep, I knew you couldn't keep away. You knew that I was the only one that could have... Oh, hey, guys! <laughs> hey, it's me, Sam! How's it going? Yeah, I'm in this film too, right? And then, like, they would go to a different... And, like, oh, no, you want this other warehouse. Like, you're looking for the prop master. He's the one that's been acting kind of shady lately. And then they would go... And then they would go into another warehouse where another film was filming, right? And, like, they would see, like, a like a witch doctor, like, going over a post... Like, a big old cauldron, right? And it's right. just like, thank you for coming to dinner. But did you know that we are serving you? And it turns around and it's just like, oh, hey, guys! The joke being that every single movie that was being filmed on the lot is Samuel Salad. Yeah. That's because crazy. during the time period, actors at that time were called studio actors. You would sign off, sign a contract saying you would only make movies for this one studio, right? And Vincent Price was one of these actors, specifically for Universal. So Universal would have a movie. It's just like, get fucking Vincent Price in here. like, And it's just like, I don't do comedies. And it's just like, we don't give a shit, Vincent. <laughs> you do now. <laughs> yeah. We have you on contract. You make these movies for us. And you don't go to MGM. And you sure as fuck do not go over to Disney. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even say the D word. Shit like that, right? I mean, so sometimes yeah. you're... So that's where my fucking best character ever came from. Was yeah. a throwaway NPC that turned into something think. so much better. Oh, he's a master happens. of disguise yeah. because he's an actor. Who, unfortunately, because he was not always the actor that he is, he had to do his own makeup. So he's really good at disguise. Yeah. How many people do you play that with on so, average? Like, what's your group size? So our group size is not including the DM six. Dang. So seven in total. That's pretty big. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Do you find that hard to navigate usually? Not really. The good news is, is that our group works really really well it's together. It's really fortunate. It's got, yeah, it's super it's fortunate. I mean like we all do go on tangents. We're all like really fucking close friends. So like if we haven't seen each other for a minute other than that fucking Saturday, we're going to fucking talk about shit when like okay, so like the party splits up, right? Two characters are actually doing something and then like the rest of the table is just like so anyways, that fucking bitch from work, yeah. right? Like, that happens, yeah. right? We've had a lot of that happen in our yeah. nine, nine people campaigns. It's gonna happen. It's hard to, yeah. It's gonna, especially if, like, the group splits up and stuff, that's gonna happen, Especially, like you said, you only see each other once a week or so. Exactly. So really We're all friends. Is, is like, you know, we want to catch up. So, like, we thought that the answer to that would be, okay, so we'll 
start the actual playing at six, right? But we'll show up to the house at three. That way we can like play Among Us and like get the talkies out and like, you know, eat some chips and just like we'll get all of that talk, that energy out, right? Before we play. No. No. Because we're friends. We want to fucking bullshit and yeah. stuff. Like, oh, yeah. like, for a lot of people, like, Call of Cthulhu or D&D is socializing. And, like, oh, yeah. that exactly. is what it is. Like, the smaller the group, the easier it is to contain of just, like, all right, gang, let's go. But, like, I'm sure you guys have been compared to it. Every fucking DM has is, uh, you're not Matt Mercer. Here's the thing. Your group isn't fucking the critical role cast. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, hey, motherfuckers, I might not be Matt Mercer, but you got assholes don't put your phones away. Yeah. Do you notice critical role never has their fucking phones out? Yeah. Here's the difference, though, is that they get paid for every episode. Yes. I'm sure if we all paid our players, they would pay attention harder, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Right. Sure. Right. We're trying our best here. And, right. like, that's what's important. But, like, also be cool. Like, you know, we're all friends. We want to be able to bullshit and stuff. Well, the whole point is that it's a game. Yeah. We're there to have fun. We're here to have fun. And, unfortunately, a lot of DMs don't fucking get that. Yeah. A lot of DMs do, like, fancy themselves Matt Mercers. And a lot of them do fancy their fucking party as Critical Role. Some people do want that structure. They do want it to be, like, this this linear thing of how we want to play. And we want it to go like this. A, B, C, D happens. And that's the story. Like, I understand that, like, it's okay to put the rules up. Like, okay, guys, I would really prefer if you guys didn't like play on your phones Mm -hmm. like as dms we work really hard on our stories we devote a lot of time to these fucking games right like sure we can have like some leeway of just like ah they're talking about work that makes sense like you know like they're they're not even part of like what's happening right now so it's okay but like the phone shit like gets on my nerves so fucking bad. <laughs> I try my best to like keep that shit away. Like, but like, anyways, like, yeah, I, I I've had like other players like just be like, yeah, if you guys were more like critical role, I would probably say it's just like, well, go fuck yourself no, because like I gotta tell you, buddy, like your fucking character was nothing special, so like <laughs> you barely spoke up. So I don't know. Hopefully yeah. they manage to find each other and have their... Hopefully. Like, yeah, you know. There's always like, a group for somebody. Oh, there yeah. really is. And, like, uh, I would like allow me to be on my soapbox right now for the people listening. Uh, if you are just like, oh, I can't find a group. Or, like, oh, I want to be a DM, but, like, none of my friends want to get into this. Fucking find your local comic book shop. Uh, specifically in Bozeman, I'll fucking name check them. Rooks. Rooks is great. Fucking Rooks has an entire t- sign up sheet of do you want to be a DM? Put your name here. Do you want to be a player in a campaign? Put your name that. here. Yeah, it's fucking cool. And like, it's a really good way to make new friends. It's a really good way to fucking like get into D&D or Call of Cthulhu. Fucking do that, please. Like, and I agree with that. There's also now the age of the internet. Yes! Discord channels, Roll20. God, Roll20 is the one I was thinking of. We're on a Facebook group that's just women D&D players and DMs, and they are often like, hey, I'm doing one-shot tonight, does anybody want to play? Can I ask you guys questions? Yeah. So... This is an interview podcast after all. I guess, but you're you're asking me questions, so like, anyway. (laughs) uh, um, Like, I I just, I'm sure this has come up before, or it will come up, but, like, I'm just really curious, um, 
your guys' relationship to role-playing and everything. Like, there is this sort of stigma that, like, D&D and Call of Cthulhu are just a bunch of sweaty dudes in a basement. <laughs> we literally talked about we that. We have a whole episode about this. Of course, so. yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. But I'm yeah. curious. Like, like I, I've asked my wife about this. Mm-hmm. And, like, she has she has her opinions on it and everything. I'm very curious about I, I respect your two's opinions. So, like, I really want to know, like, like, what is your guys' relationship? Why do you guys keep coming back to something that, like, very clearly markets even markets itself to a male demographic. Yeah, like I think it's now. really I think it's especially now. Like I think it's really important for people like like that aren't necessarily the target demographic to champion and spearhead certain things. Women in tabletop RPGs, I think it's like indicative. Like I, I think it's so fucking important. So your guys' relationship, like, how do you feel about it? Well, like, I, again, back to the 5e thing, I think that is the most inclusive version we've ever had. Um, inclusive not just for, like, players getting into it, but just for, like, yeah, people. Yeah, just like, all in general. I feel like uh, that Dungeons & Dragons today has been has taken a lot of great strides to be as inclusive and reach yes. out to as many people as Specifically changing the races to folk, yeah. right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. things like that, and... A lot of people like stopped at that. I thought it was a really cool, like, little move. Well, I think the thing is, is with 5e, it is so open-ended, but it's probably going to be the version we play with for a long time. Yeah. yeah. You know, so they keep adding to it, and it has a lot of room to grow. Call of Cthulhu is in its 7th edition. Well. I don't yeah. see it. I don't right. see it growing past it. Honestly. You know, like, 5e is so different, so, like, there's some purists that are like, oh, like, it's too sandbag, it's too easy. But on the other hand, it makes it easy for anybody to get into it. It makes yeah. it easy for... Non-binary people. It makes it easy for people of different races with different cultural backgrounds. It makes it easy for children, elderly, like yeah. all sorts of people can get into it. Yeah, because it's so simplified. Yes, but because it's simplified, it's adaptable. Mm-hmm. So you can take and it malleable too, right? So you can take it and add it to your personal story and make it relevant. Yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting about it. And for some people, that could be boring or like not enough, or maybe just like too much at once. You know. But yeah, I mean, we're both nerds. We're both, I like I said before, I just in a general nerd shit. <laughs> I don't lean into one thing or the other too much. Yeah. But like fantasy and role playing in general has always been really interesting to me. So and character creation, being and able like, to be like, hey, I'm a fucking high elf from Lord of the Rings. I get to be sexy ass Legolas and like shoot a bow. Like that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, but. I've never really encountered a lot of the kind of systemic problems that do come up in that sort of stuff. Like, well, you're a female, so you're automatically weaker than your male counterpart. You know, that's not really a thing. Yeah. But before I got into it, I did think that it was specifically for pimply, sweaty, nerdy men. Right, yeah. And, like, I would never never be invited to play because, like, I'm not nerdy enough. Yeah. But that's not true anymore. Even you know? Stranger Things. Well, that's uh, what got me into it. The, oh, really? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. So even Stranger Things started out like season one. It was a bunch of like boys Very and boys. everything. Right. But in the 70s. Yeah. And that's what 80s. it was marketed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's fair. But like, I, yeah, yeah. Keisha? Uh, Similar? Uh, for me, I mean, there's like, we went over this in like the, our other episode of like my story of just kind of leading myself up to, I've always loved this kind of thing of just creating your character, you create a story with that character in this fantastical world, just in general, I just, I've always loved that, 
So I just never had the chance to play D&D when I was younger. Just the kind of school I went to, you know, and everything's filled yeah. with jocks and such. Yeah. Parents were kind of a, you don't really the brag about that. We went to the same there. school, first of all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, I was a freshman when you were a senior at, yeah, at which said is funny school. To think. Oh, no, it's crazy, right? <laughs> uh, and, like, like, the extent of, like, nerddom, mm-hmm. at least when I was in school, was there was a table at lunch that played chess. And that was about it. That was yeah, about I, it. I, and I man, those kids were fucking weird. Yeah. Like, like, I've always seen as kind of some kids like some kids. Now we have the Queen's Gambit, and it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was I I was a chess kid, so like <laughs> yeah. I, I played chess competitively, like naturally because again I'm extra. I've said that a lot. Like uh, I, I I love chess. I'm not not besmirching chess, but like. There wasn't, like, a table of, like, Yu-Gi-Oh players and a table of Pokemon players and a table of Magic players. And, like, there really wasn't that. There was just, like, are you a nerd? Go play with the fucking chess kids. <laughs> right. And, like, that's it. Like We had a little bit more divide in middle school. Uh, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh really popular. Yeah. Um, I remember vividly I wanted to be more of a skater kid and not a nerdy kid. I walked up to the boys in my sixth grade class that were all playing Pokemon, and I literally handed them... Like, one of these, like a CD case of Pokemon cards. Probably, like, a hundred first edition Pokemon cards. Dude. And just gave it to them. I said, here you go. I'm not cool enough for this, you know. Wow. Or I'm too cool for this, probably. Oh, my God. <laughs> the look on their face is probably the same way they feel now, 20 years later, with those, like, first edition Charizard so cards. I, yeah. I have four holographic, like, so... So, my dad was a big uh, baseball card guy, so, like, whenever, like, me and my brother and sister would get into uh, trading card stuff, he knew exactly what to do with them. Yeah, of course. So, I had, at one point, four holographic Charizards, first editions, double-sleeved, so, which means that they could have, at one point, be graded as mint, right? Mm -hmm. You know how much those go for now? Thousands of dollars, probably. Uh, Fifteen. Yeah. $15,000. That's absurd. Each. Yeah. yeah. So. We didn't know. <laughs> we never <laughs> we think about Our parents had no idea that shit was going to be yeah. popular. <laughs> you know? like, I mean, I, they were like, don't play with your toys. This is going to be worth a lot of money when you're an adult. There was yeah. a kid. <laughs> you look at the toys. There was a kid in my grade that like had no friends, but he was super into Pokemon in like the fifth grade. Like, and like, I was still super into Pokemon, but I was just like, I don't want, like, you don't have a lot of friends, man. Like, he- here you go. Like, Aww. here, here's my Pokemon card collection. Like, have have a good time. Like, you seem to enjoy this way more than I ever could. That motherfucker has, like, fucking, like, 60 grand in cards if he still has that fucking coin. Smart kid. Dark, say, probably living in a smart mansion. fucking kid. Yeah, yeah. And fun fact, that kid, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, that's how it started. Yes. There is something I wanted to say that you brought up, yeah. uh, specifically when you talked about why you love fifth edition. Um, uh, the inclusivity of it mm-hmm. is that for like gender queer and non-binary people, like for people who might be trans, for people who like just, uh, all all shades of anything, right? Unfortunately, depending on the time period that you're playing in in Call of Cthulhu, it's not exist. very open. And, like, yeah. you can write your character to where it's just like, oh, I am trans, but nobody knows. And that's the that's extent hard. that you... That's really hard. Because you have to effectively be dead-named mm-hmm. through the entire thing. Your character has to effectively be dead-named. Or, like, you have to lie about who you are. Like, it... it unfortunately, because of the throes of history... 
you do have to lie. Like, like, I guess lie is such like a loaded way to say that. Like, like you know, you like be discreet. You have to be discreet, like like which is know, difficult. Yeah. It, it could be triggering, even exactly. Yeah. And like that, I would argue that that's one of the hardest parts of Call of Cthulhu for people who might be like of that persuasion. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I I don't want to say that it's uninviting to everybody. It's like, just more difficult. There's ways to work around it, I'm sure. Well, know? like if this this is a, like an escapist fantasy for you, to where it's just like, oh, like I'm genderqueer, so I have a non-gendered character kind of hard to do in the 1920s mm-hmm. like it's really fucking hard maybe to the do. challenge is to but if you're a fucking aura croca if you're an aura croca <laughs> from a fucking hill like <laughs> it's just like yeah yeah bird people don't have genders yes. we have cloacas like right. fucking like it doesn't matter yes uh like so i, I guess that's like actually the strike against call of cthulhu is that it might not be super inclusive but i would argue that like it that like that's not part of it. It's just like I feel like there's ways to get around that. There is ways yeah. to get around it. Well, it can be that escapist fantasy of just like say that like you are a trans man and it's just like oh I'm a male character and like that's easy and everything. But I, I would argue for like non-binary characters and everything. And it's just like no, I want to have a non-binary character. And it's just like unfortunately we're gonna have to go to the modern ages then because. Mm-hmm. I'm not, well, that's unfair, because non-binary people did exist in the 1920s, but, like, they couldn't exactly be out about yeah. it, and that's the unfortunate part. Well, like, okay, so, like, I would be fucking remiss if I didn't bring up the problematic nature of H.P. Lovecraft mythos, which is, H.P. Lovecraft himself, like, you'll have thousands of nerds who love his writing defend the ever-loving fuck out of him he was a xenophobic racist fucking asshole to the point that like his peers around and it's not even like well you know the 1900 early 1900s was a racist time dude even in his time period his peers would write letters to him and these are on record write letters to him to like hey dude Chill the fuck out. Like, (laughs) there's like, there's like anecdotal like stories of like him in New York being like, oh my God, the melting pot of America. Cultures can come together and, 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 and blossom together. The best parts of other people can come together and make the best parts of old people. This is lovely. And then like two weeks later, his suitcase got stolen by a black person. And he's just like, New York is a mistake. <laughs> All the cultures should keep to their own. Yeah, so he himself like believed that like white Anglo-Saxon Protestant wasp, right? Was like the pinnacle of fucking cult of fucking existence. He ended up marrying a Jewish woman, which really fucking curbed his attitude towards shit like that, which is good. However, he like like most of his writings about his wife is just like She's really doing a good job of like integrating into my life. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) I don't like that. So, but he also developed friendships with people of color, specifically authors, and it like really changed his mind mindset about that. So, his one of his most favorite famous stories is called "The Shadow Over Innsmouth," right? And this is where I'm going to end this episode. The shadow over because this is important. Like H.P. Lovecraft was a racist, xenophobic asshole, mm-hmm. and like as a fan of his, 
I need to say that because it would be really disingenuous if I didn't, right? So the shadow over Rain's mouth is sorry about like so like this book that I brought, right? It's called Sandy Peterson's Field Guide to Lovecraftian Horrors. Uh, this is effectively the uh, who is like the famous monster like chronologicer like in D and D like uh, somebody's like field guide to monsters or something. Oh, Xanathar's. Yeah. Xanathar's, yeah, that guy. This is fucking Call of Cthulhu's Xanathar, mm, right? Sure. So, um, like canonically, there is a character in Call of Cthulhu, like the game, named Sandy Peterson. He is out of his fucking mind. Why? Because he's fucking knows about all this shit. The more you know about Cthulhu mythos, the crazier you are. That's how it leads itself into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so, so the the big theme of H.P. Lovecraft is fear of the other. It's not necessarily the fear of the unknown, which, like, famously, he is quoted as like the most uh, primitive emotion humans experience is fear, and the most primitive and early emotion of that fear is fear of the unknown. Right? That I forget what story specifically that's from, but that's a quote from H.P. Lovecraft, which is very salient. It's very, very ap- apropos. However, when you come at it with the mindset of, oh, he was a racist, <laughs> you're it's like, just like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out it's fear of the other gotcha. that you're actually most afraid of, right? Yeah. So Shadow Over Innsmouth is a story about a man, a salesman who goes to the town of Innsmouth, right? Or Innsmouth, right? It, it, it can be pronounced Innsmouth or Innsmouth. I think, like, the accepted term, the accepted pronunciation is Innsmouth. So a salesman goes to Innsmouth, and every single citizen of Innsmouth is fucking weird as shit, right? They have super long mouths. They are fucking fat. Their fingers have, like, weird, like, extra long webbings mm-hmm. in between them. And they're just, like, they fucking, like, can take, like, an oyster shell and fucking crack it with their own hands and then slurp it and shit. They're fucking weird, right? And it's, like, sort of fear of just, like, I don't know where the fuck I am right now. What the fuck is happening? I'm being drawn to this place for some reason. Why am I here? And eventually, like, like, story happens, and he ends up going into the ocean, and in the waters of Innsmouth are the townspeople. Because it turns out the townspeople are creatures called deep ones, right? Deep ones are fishmen, or fish people, that can, like, come out of the water and sort of, like, pretend to be human. Like, they can don, like, sort of disguises that make themselves look human, right? So that's why everything is super weird and stuff. And then eventually the main character realizes, oh, I'm, I'm a descendant of these people. I am a deep one. And, like, the like whole, like, end of that story is the horror of realizing... Oh my god, I'm not human at all. I'm a monster. And like how terrifying that realization is, right? You want to know what the inspiration was for that story? I don't know if I do, but what is it? So, (laughs) Howard Phillips Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, discovered that he was not the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant that he thought he was. He was Welsh. Uh, (laughs) And that was the greatest horror of H.P. Lovecraft's life. Was realizing I'm not a pure blood. I'm Welsh. <laughs> That's what inspired him to write that story, one of his most famous, well-written stories. And that doesn't take away from the fact that that story is fucking radical and awesome, right? 
H.P. Lovecraft genuinely tried to make Shrikes better himself because of the, like, pressure of his peers. Yeah. So, like, I, again, I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up. That it is problematic to not necessarily be a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, but not to acknowledge the fact that H.P. Lovecraft himself was problematic. Right. But honestly, it's what we do with the stories of his uh, is what matters. He he was super big on, like, other authors taking, like, little bits from his stories and making it into something else. Specifically, the author of the Conan the Barbarian series uh, brought a lot of the Elder Gods from his story into fucking Conan the Barbarian. Uh, and then Gary Gygax fucking brought in Naralethotep. Naralethotep is in D&D. Naralethotep is also... And uh, Asmodeus, Asmodon, fucking... Azathoth, Shubnigaroth, which that there's a bad word in that, the middle of that. Can I tell you there's a specific reason why there's a bad word in the middle of that? Again, problematic as fuck, right? But, like, like H.P. Lovecraft was super good about, like, accepting other people using his work, right? right? So the important part is that we use the work in a better sense, right? If any of my characters wanted to make a gender queer or a non-binary or a trans character, I would fucking rewrite the story to, like, compensate for that, right? Yeah. Um, specifically, me and my writing partner have created a town called Vanith, Maryland, right? Um, so, uh, usually in Lovecraft, like, there's, like, a couple towns, like, Arkham and, like, uh, Behalith and, like, a, a couple others, right? But we created our own town so that we can say, you know what, in our town, uh, Prohibition never really came here. Tesla actually won the current war here, so we have weird science everywhere, right? Um, fucking, so, so homosexuality was really pretty accepted in the 1920s. It was like a, I have a homosexual friend, I'll have you know. Like, it was a point of pride for a lot of people. Then the Great Depression happened, and then it was just like, oh, that motherfucker's the reason why I lost everything. Weird how things repeat themselves, right? Um, so, like, we created a town that, like, just sort of didn't really experience the same things that the rest of America did. That way, we do have our sandbox, we do have our progressiveness, we do have all of that. And like, yeah, gives you those options. Yeah. So while, yes, being a fan of H.P. Lovecraft has its problems. Like, I will never defend him on his ideas on white supremacy. Ever, 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 ever. Ever. But I will use his works to fucking make other people feel included. That's what's important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, like, honestly, towards the end of his life, like, he started getting better about shit. Unfortunately, he died very young of fucking, like, pneumonia or some shit. Because well, at least there was progress. That's what matters. Yeah. Progress started to happen, yeah. and then he died. <laughs> like, which is, like, the perfect end to an H.P. Lovecraft story of, exactly. I started to accept this, and then I died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah. I love I love Call of Cthulhu for many reasons. I hope I touched on a couple of them. I, I think you did. I think you definitely did. I yeah. hope so. Um, <laughs> I I would love to come back talk some more. I'm sure you guys had questions that we didn't even cover because yeah, like fine. I talk so much. I think we covered some of mine. I'm not sure. Well, anyways, well, it's been great having you, Chad. It's been fucking yes, lovely. Thank you. I learned a lot about Call of Cthulhu, and uh, we've had a really lovely evening. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I personally love the game. I hope other people, like, if, if D&D &D isn't your cup of tea, or even if it is and you just want to try something else. There's other else, things out there. 
Call of Cthulhu fucking rocks. It fucking is so fucking cool. <laughs> if, like, you, you're not so much a fantasy nerd, fucking get into Call of Cthulhu. Word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll end it there. But... You can find me. Uh, yeah, we said it at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Thank, thank you, you guys so much for having me. So yeah, fun. definitely. We... What a night. We're what a night. I, w- I did not expect this to be two hours long. <laughs> I mean, um, honestly, I kind of I thought this was.